Swept Away, or its full title, Swept Away by an Unusual Destiny in the Blue Sea of August. If I had to search for the reasons why I chose Swept Away as my first, will it be the only Italian film entry, not to mention, and especially of course, one scripted and directed by a woman, I suppose I could state how I previously saw Seven Beauties, also by Lena Wertmuller, often called Italy's preeminent female filmmaker. Sad to say I can't think of too many others off the top of my head, certainly from that rich period of the 60s and 70s, which was a dark, funny, subversive film, set in part in a concentration camp and dealt with a con artist and womanizer being brought down to his most awful, pathetic senses to please an inhuman female commandant. Or I could say that I needed a female-directed film, like as if I'm running some kind of lady affirmative action program in this series of films, which is not the case. Or that it is summertime in the Cinema Immersion Tank project, and I wanted to see other people having, shall we say, fun in the sand and surf on a sunny, picaresque Italian Mediterranean island. A vacation, if you will, whatever that means. And maybe by the end of this analysis, we'll understand more about vacations in general. The real answer is probably more disappointing, but it's still true. I was watching a review by online critic Todd in the Shadows of the remake of Swept Away, the notorious 2002 film by Guy Ritchie and Madonna during the early years of their tempestuous marriage. I should say I assume this. I haven't seen the remake yet. He brought up the original and showed some clips. He compared the two films, and I started to be heavily intrigued by what he was showing in brief. A film where a man hits a woman over and over once they get into their, quote, paradise setting. They end up falling in love, or what appears to be that, and by the end, after they're rescued and he tries to get her to return to the island, she runs off without him. Todd didn't go so far as to call the film good, but he emphasized that, unlike the remake, there was something there at the least irony, and at most a commentary on social and class being the main divider between the two characters of the story. Gennarino Caruncio, a sailor and hired servant on the boat that Raffaella Pavon Lanzetti has charted for a couple of weeks on the seas of the Mediterranean, who gets stranded on an island when they go off together on a smaller boat so she can catch up with her rich friends to swim, and, though, and that no matter what, this matters through the experience. It's not simply some ridiculous premise for softcore sex to unfold, like many other films of the 70s would try for, or in Madonna's case, a vanity project. I found that social commentary, satires in particular, are ideal for the Cinema Immersion Tank series, when the filmmakers try to find ways to talk about society that straightforward comedies or dramas can't always get to, and often satires can combine drama and comedy in such a manner that is destabilizing to form, and that is heady and odd and even perverse in the face of all the world's norms. In the case of Swept Away, what Wertmuller, who was a staunch liberal, according to what I've read online in brief, she was more political than precisely a feminist in traditional sense of the word, means is to strip down all of the flesh to show as much of the bones of what happens to human beings when confronted with the truth of ideologies, not just those of typical capitalism versus communism, though there is that, good God there is, but about male and female living, in capital words, what it means for a woman or a man to exert any power and those dynamics, both physically and mentally, mostly physically. What do I mean about ideology? 
Well, let's turn it over again to Slavoj Žižek, who describes something insightful when, when referring in regard to the movie They Live. According to our common sense, we think that ideology is something blurring, confusing our straight view. Ideology should be glasses which distort our view. And the critique of ideology should be the opposite, like you take off the glasses so that you can finally see the way things really are. This precisely, and here the pessimism of the film of They Live is well justified, this precisely is the ultimate illusion. Ideology is not simply imposed on ourselves. Ideology is our spontaneous relationship to our social world, how we perceive its meaning, and so on and so on. We, in a way, enjoy our ideology. So what does this mean in the case of Swept Away, the glasses in this story? Who is wearing them, and who takes them off first? Are there glasses even? Let's back up just for a moment. In this story, the first 20 minutes are key. We see the power dynamic as such. Raffaella is the wife of a wealthy man, though we don't see the two really interact. Oddly enough, the one point uh, when, is when, after saying she says something outrageous, he comments, enough with the Marie Antoinette routine. To give an idea of the sort of thing she says among her friends at a card game, it, one of the lines is, and I quote, Oh, listen, I never doubted that Marx had servants, which may be a joke, or not. After so many viewings, I go back and forth on it. She doesn't mince words when it comes to how she treats the help. When Gennarino comes over with a pot of coffee, she doesn't even ask uh, to try it. She assumes it's not hot and demands it be made fresh. Does she know it's fresh or not? Who cares? The point is she can say this, and Gennarino can do nothing but grit his teeth and bear it. Indeed, the very first five minutes feature Gennarino in the background, occasionally looking up from his deckhand cleaning, as Raffaella and another friend, Pippo, discuss slash yell at each other uh, about a whole host of political points. A down and dirty argument about the Vatican, fascism, communism, capitalism, and so on. But does it mean anything? Does Raffaella believe all she says, i.e., the Vatican, ha, you kiss their ass, she retorts at one random point. Some of this may seem to make the audience have to have knowledge of what was going on in the time politics at the time, but I don't think so. The point is more about how she has many, many, many opinions on things, and it all boils down to, I have money and power, and other people, well, don't. They're below me. Under his breath, Junior Reno will say to himself, fucking industrial whore, or to that effect, and he is openly defiant of her, or tries to be in his way when she demands uh, to the boss of the ship that the sailors change their shirts since they, well, stink. Gennarino, in protest, puts on a different, dirty shirt. When she asks if he's trying to be funny, Gennarino slinks away from a possible confrontation. I just fuck up, he says. He can complain to his boss or bitch to his co-workers, but actually talk back to her? Heavens no. But then it's past minute 20, first act ends, and they get on the smaller boat, and the motor stops working, and they can't get help or find a way out of the predicament of being on the desert of the high seas. Even here, he still acquiesces to her. When he does finally fix the broken motor after a day of work, 
uh, he passively aggressive he passive aggressively says she should say where to go to which he responds she has no idea is Jennerino doing this out of increasing frustration one could almost picture a little sidebar next to his head like in a video game where every snide remark Raffaella makes about what he is isn't doing adds another notch until it overflows past the breaking point or is still adhering to the power dynamic it gets tougher when little things mount up, like spending hours to catch a fish that he first lets her try when he catches it, to which he barely tries and tosses overboard. I would have eaten it, he moans. Or when she accidentally loses a whistle to alert a bigger boat nearby. Whoops. And then it comes time for the island they come upon. He searches it. No one there, he tells her. He checks. And then she says one more thing. One extra little remark that sends him into a say-that-again moment. And the snap happens. Curses fly, arguments and loud streams of obscene words go out of their mouths, both of them. But the changes happen, the reverse of the power dynamic. Right? I thought about what it means when people have to confront the context of their ideologies. Of course, there's the sense that this may all be a ridiculous farce on the part of Wartmuller, and she plays this up for big laughs on the first viewing. I found myself howling with laughter for the first few minutes on the island, when Gennarino first tells off Raffaella, and mostly because of how obscene he gets, and what he strings together. Even at one point, social democrat whore comes out, which sounds like a contradiction. Isn't that what he is? But then it's Italian politics, so let's let that go. And there's even a sense that this may all be fodder for what Wartmuller will get to eventually, which is all the lovemaking and sex between the man and woman following the bickering and power dynamic change. He is now the boss, because he can do things she either can't or won't do, like make fires, swim and hunt for fish, hunt and kill rabbits, and any other animals on the island. It's not a survival-type story in that sense, and part of the trap, which I'll get to in a moment, is how self-sustaining their situation is. They don't have to be res rescued, per se. It's important to note the look of these characters, too. Gennarino is played by Giancarlo Giannini, who has wild, bushy hair and a big, black, bushy beard, and eyes that are big and can look menacing and give you a are-you-fucking-kidding-me expression in less than half a second. His voice is gravelly, too, which may be how Giannini sounds, actually, but I don't think it is. The more I listen, and it may be dubbed anyway, as Italy tends to do, uh, they didn't shoot live sound on their productions, generally speaking, uh, the more I hear an exaggeration, like a possible cartoon on Italian communists. Marangela Mulatto's Raphael is ideal at being the trophy wife. Attractive, maybe in her stuck-up way sexy, closer to a Lady Gaga in looks than Madonna, with a touch of gulp and coulter. Yeah, she popped into my head. Maybe more so for lines like, she actually says at one point on the tiny boat, I'm not fucking joking. We may meet that delightful Gaddafi, as in the dead dictator of Libya. This is 1974, by the way, but I digress. Someone who has the surface looks down, and great dark skin, and voluptuous breasts, but a fairly empty core. Terrific at playing stuck up, but what's impressive is when she's not talking, how communicative she can look. She as well as Giannini find a lot uh, to be able to convey when Mertler just lets them look on and think for a few moments, or look at each other without saying anything. 
This happens after a very explosive fight, one that lasts so long that the two chase across what seems like half the island, all after Generino, whoops, sorry, I mean Mr. Caruncio now to Raffaella, as she's supposed to call him, imposes his will on her as the master, that she must do things in order uh, to give any food, as if she is the servant, like washing his underwear or kissing his hand. At first she detests this and finds it ridiculous, like, come on, we need to survive. But as he reminds her over and over, it's she who's been the terrible person for all the time previous, him the doormat under which he wiped her feet. And then finally it crosses over into the sexual as part of the notion of ideology at the center. He is the man. He should have this power and domination. And Raffaella goes for it. She likes it. She wants more. One kiss in the midst of a... Mm, almost rape at the end of this giant fight that features him hitting her over and over for the sins of society that he levels on her. It's... What's going on in this movie? Are we suddenly into the erotica now? It's simple enough to say Swept Away, the original Workmiller film, is trashy. It may just be. But digging deep into this film, the layers reveal themselves, meaning on top of meaning. Why does Raffaella give in to Generino, a man she's found at best a nuisance and at worst an abomination, a quote, southerner, meaning he's from the south of Italy, which is Sicily, basically, and which means to say he's part black, and we know what that leads to thinking when it comes to the people with money and wealth and sheltered from society, don't we? Even after this explosive fight about an hour and 10, 15 minutes into the film, and when the two start to become closer and have sex on the beach, she still gets the occasional smack, whether it's for some, something like saying he's a silly idiot as a joke, or not telling him about a boat nearby right away. What is this love that she has for him? Is it love? Is it something else? Why does she feel this way? Or him to her? With Generino, it's a little clearer, since, as anyone who's seen what dom-sub combinations turn into, the dominant one has the satisfaction of being dominant. But was Raffaella always some secret submissive type? Was she submissive to her husband? Maybe. These questions may be ponder viewing after viewing. Again, let's go back to Zizek, and this is in reference to, uh, of all things, in the context of this documentary, uh, that he was in Coca-Cola. A desire is never simply the desire for a certain thing. It's always also a desire for desire itself, a desire to continue to desire. Perhaps the ultimate horror of a desire is to be fully filled in met so that I desire no longer. The ultimate Melancholic experience is the experience of a loss of desire itself. This desire that he means, I think, can apply with this dynamic of these two characters. This whole scenario that Wertmuller unfolds for us, the kind that would be like what is called a bodice ripper, that my wife seems to read and enjoy, and that she says this film is like in some ways, is a trick. There's a catch. Maybe even a double catch. Where we may find some humor in that immense, full Italian volume that films that aren't quite neo dramas tended to get into 
Fellini was the king of this kind of film. This scenario that that unfolds where the two finally seem to connect, not having any ties to the worlds they're from and being able to have each other in their arms as the ways crash over them on the beach. Has Raffaella actually lost control where she had it before? In a strange way, by the fifth viewing of this film, I don't think I saw it as it's meant to be seen, at least on the surface, which is this tawdry romance unfolding between two people who shouldn't be together. The common romantic comic trope, you know, the taming of the shrew bullshit. In her way, she is desiring desire itself. She makes wild declarations. She says to Generino that she loves him more than anything, that she wishes he was her first to sex her, even to, quote, and this is a line, sodomize her, which makes him simply confused. He doesn't know what she means, or if he does, he needs it spelled out. And if there is a tragedy to the story, it's that Generino falls into the trap of desire. When the two of them are finally rescued, Something which he makes possible, by the way, by signaling by fire to a nearby boat, because as he says to her, I have to be sure with regard to if she really loves him and trusts him and will stick with him through anything. But it's the tragedy of, well, a fool, of someone who we discover is actually married. If it's mentioned, it's only briefly on the boat, and by the time Generino's real-life wife comes along to him on the dock... It's like it's from some other nebulous reality, and has kids, and yet is willing to give it all up so he can go back to the fantasy that was generated. What about all the abuse? Is it abuse? We're in a time and age when a woman being hit is beyond the pale of rational thought. There's no excuse to hit a defenseless woman. Wurtmuller may be saying, is she defenseless? Is she really? Huh? This could in a way make her a radical anti-feminist. Or simply, she doesn't give two shits what you think that she's putting in here. It's satire, right? But what does this give the audience with regard to Generino? There's no simple sympathy card to play here. On the first viewing, I was more on Generino's side. It's meant to be that way as he's the lovable, obscene-laden scoundrel. Until the hitting started. It was a shock to see it, actually. And the level to which he goes at certain points feels like some obscene gesture of masculine domination and yet at the same time it's not a frank booth and blue velvet abuse where it's so vindictive it's evil i don't think from any of the times i've watched this film i could say he is evil but he loses sympathy but should he have had any to start with do we suddenly give Raphaela sympathy to the heartless obscene in her own way and comment shrew so to speak one criticism I can see having against the film, that I had in my first viewing in fact, was that the characters are so broad, and the performances along with them, that it's difficult to see any subtleties, that it's all meant for these characters to be such with a capital C, that he is communism, and she is capitalism, and we're going to see what happens in the delicious world where the tables are turned, the communist takes power and imposes his will, from how the sad, dreary world works, and the rich get richer and the poor stay poorer. Or, you know, the idea of her saying, for example, to him, you know, all the poor need to try to lose weight, and he responds, yeah, they, they lose weight, it's called poverty. I can see this, but by the third, fourth, and especially fifth viewing, there is so much more to it than that. 
This scenario is more about what men do to women in a society. Societies all over the world, where the only power women can get is by using their political or power or, yes, marital status that a husband gives to them by proxy to keep the upper hand. The ideology Kool-Aid is set in one way, but is so malleable in another. And yet it wouldn't work if it was a female dickhand and a male snobby rich bastard, or if they were the same sex, at least in Wertmuller's vision in, remember, 1974. The truly subversive part is that she almost gives the audience the sense that things may get a conventional happy ending, that this couple who have, ahem, had their ups and downs, will come together and live off in their fantasy vacation destination. Don't forget, folks, this is a vacation from reality. Some vacations may last long. Forrest Gump's definition was when you go somewhere and you don't ever come back. But some are shorter. Indeed, the idea is that if you go away and you have to come back, and you know deep down that will be the case, Raffaella may have hated this vacation at times, loved it at others, but but can she replicate it? What about with her husband? Would they even care to try? By the end of the film, when Jennerino is yelling traitor to the woman he has now fallen for, Wertmuller, Wertmuller may be asking the audience, perhaps, to come back over and feel sorry for him. Or perhaps, in a way, empathize with him. He's back to square one, or worse. Maybe his wife will divorce him, or if the very last shot is an indication, maybe not. But in any case, he's scarred for life. In his vulnerability, we can't forgive him for what he's done, but he's still vulnerable and damaged and did the wrong thing. Like we do sometimes. Lastly, the title. An Unusual Destiny. What, it, what is destiny in this case? Is that part of the joke? Like a serious man or happiness before in this series? Raffaella comments to Generino this is something that doesn't happen to just anyone. It's almost closer to a miracle. Something that may have been destined to be. How unusual is it though? Maybe this is closer to a Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb title. What you usually would get with an erotic tale of love and romance being discovered by disparate people on a desert island, the kind of fodder people have been pleasuring themselves to for years, is stripped away to show the uglier, nastier, unusual side of things in human nature. It may have been destiny, but it sure leaves a mark. Just like capitalism! Or communism. Or both. If you have any questions or comments about this episode of the Cinema Immersion Tank, uh, please email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com.